that Prabhupada had made himself in America went to Shurat. That the people came out and welcomed them like conquering heroes who had come home. And I don't know what they had in their hearts exactly, exactly but um, I could tell it's full of, full of uh, goodness. But it, I thought it was appropriate. For all those who are engaged in the Sankirtan movement, heart and soul, uh, executing the mission despite any obstacles or whatever else one has to do to hold the body and soul together, the, mark my words, you will be greeted as conquering hero one place or another uh, at some time. If you have to wait until you leave your body, so be it, to be recognized or appreciated, but it, that's, that's what you get uh, for being on the Sankirtan party. Hare Krishna. So today we're continuing our series on, uh, it's called Stepping Out, uh, which is uh, about death. And in uh, preparing for this series, I find it to be helpful myself because it's easier to face reality and be prepared for the inevitable. For instance, taxes. It's much better to be on top of things. When I was talking to an accountant attorney a while back, he said, well, knowledge is always better than ignorance when it comes to finances. You can just stuff it somewhere and say, oh, maybe something good will happen or maybe no one will notice. But you live with cognitive dissonance, a sense that something's not being done right and anything could happen. And we actually, as human beings, have to take the responsibility for our and the consequences for our activities. And we also have, for those who are highly advanced, the brahmanas, they consider ahead of time what it means to be human, what the opportunity is. They take the Shastra that says, Labbam sadulamamidam bhavasam bhavante manusham artadam anityam apihadira. It's a very rare opportunity to prepare oneself for the eternal, not to wallow in the temporary and think, well, it'll all turn out all right somehow. Even in the spiritual practice, sometimes people think, well, I'm part of a religious organization, therefore, maybe it'll all just turn out okay. But Prabhupada points out that the Acharya, the Shastras, they can all give good instruction, but it's up to us to apply them and not just to hope we're ready, to actually know that we're ready, to be ready. You do your taxes and at the end you can see it's all in line, we can take an audit. And during our lifetimes, as we prepare for death, we may get audited also. I had plantar fasciitis. It sounds bad, but it's not that bad. But it was bad enough for me because I don't like stuff like that. And my foot didn't work well for about seven, eight months. It is just a strain in the fascia, in the tissue of the foot. A lot of people get it. I don't like it at all. You know, I take my daily walks and I felt like it, I, it was a, walking up the Himalayas because I had that. And I complained to our nurse practitioner, who's a really good doctor. Her name was Burgess. Too bad she moved away. 
but I, I was complaining because that's who I like to complain to is the doctors. <laughs> Tell them I don't like this. She said, you're lucky. A lot of people have to wait till they get something much worse to get a wake-up call. You just got plantar fasciitis. Stop complaining. <laughs> and so uh, throughout our lives, uh, the types of ordeals that we come against, come up against uh, may be audits for us. We may not notice, and we may try to avoid the audits. Nowadays, people try to avoid the truth. They get called to testify somewhere, and they say, nah, no thanks. Or they get a subpoena. It's like, nah, forget it. I'll just live the way I am. I don't want to be responsible to anybody else. But it's better. Uh, Brahmana means somebody who's in line with the Supreme and means should be all lined up. Prabhupada was all lined up. Everything in order, material and spiritual. He took care of his material responsibilities, including his family. There was a stipend he left even as he took sannyas for his wife and children. And there, uh, even after he left, he, he made an arrangement for them. And uh, he kept his uh, personal uh, property in good order. Everything went in its place. And wherever he went, wherever he traveled, everything got set up the way it was set up in the last place. He locked up the most valuable things twice in a locking bag, and then the locking bag got locked in in a locking armoire. And so he's careful, because it's Krishna's property, and so is the body, and so is the opportunity of a lifetime. And when we get audited in this lifetime, we should be ready. I've always thought of travel as a mini-audit, because when you travel, then you think, oh, what should I take with me? What's going to happen when I'm not here? How will life go on without me? And that's what people think at the time of death, too. They think, oh, what do I get to take with me? Nothing. Who's going to uh, carry on without you? It's like everybody. <laughs> and the uh, Bhagavad Gita teaches us how to prepare for death. And the Srimad Bhagavatam is about the last seven days of a great soul who's getting ready to leave. And it's all about preparation. The Srimad Bhagavatam gives us the foresight of seeing what it's like when we leave and also when we come back into the world. And also we see how one who's getting fully prepared has to, to really cram. And so there's... There's a great duty in the human form of life. It's to prepare for death. We can't just obfuscate or forget about it or think that I'll do it later on. That's what people who uh, regret things do later. And there's a lot of uh, knowledge of, or at least awareness, of consciousness at death, at least on a, in a, some level by people who are in palliative care. Palliative care means that end-of-life care, when people get a notice, that they have a prognosis. Prognosis means 
how long do you have to live? It means other things too, like how long is the disease going to last? But to prognosticate means to figure out <laughs> what's going to happen in the future. So many times doctors have accurate idea about how long someone's going to live based on what they've seen many times before. There are signs when the biological robot is winding down. And there's also a sign uh, that there are certain kinds of ailments that are fairly efficient in the way they take over and um, destroy the body. And you know, you can judge how fast they're going to grow and so forth. Not always, because Mari Krishna Raki K, Raki Krishna Mari K. Krishna can always um, win one last one for the Gipper. You don't get that because you, you weren't in America in 1950. But in any case, you can look it up or not. And so uh, a palliative care worker who had a best-selling book, her name is Bronnie Ware, and she wrote a book that got translated into the 31 different languages around the world called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, A Life Transformed by the Dearly Departing. And her book is a series of stories of people that she took care of. She was in palliative care. And she had a window into their lives. Some of them were in their 90s. Some of them were in their 30s and younger. And all of them had some similar regrets. And it's one of the things she talks about, especially in her book. So that's what uh, Stephen Covey talks about for managing anything is begin with the end in mind. So why not do it with your life? Because we know it has a beginning and an end, and if we try to pretend otherwise, then that's a kind of ostrich philosophy, put one's head in the sand, and just forget about it. Better to be fully cognizant and prepare for death. And she points out that you can have a much fuller life, actually, when you go with eyes open and don't consider death or the subject taboo. Now this is pointed out that it's taboo or something that we stuff, psychologically means we just put it out of our mind and put it in our subconscious and then it comes out in very unhealthy ways by a conversation with Yudhishthira and Yamaraj in the Mahabharata that everyone's familiar with, I'm sure, and that is in, a, in the context of the Pandavas becoming uncharacteristically thirsty, coming to drink water, being warned by a stork. Is it a stork or a pelican or what kind of bird is it? Stork, okay. A stork that don't uh, drink the water. It's, it's poison, but they were so thirsty they drank it anyway. But Yudhishthir uh, abided by the, the warning and... The, the stork said, first you answer my questions, then you can drink. And one of the questions he did, the stork asked, the Yudhishthir, what's, what's the most amazing thing in the world? And he said, honey, honey, bhutani, kachantiha, yamalayam. And that is that uh, death comes to every living being, but everyone's walking around thinking it won't come to me. So that's the most amazing thing. And this is due to uh, clinging to life. This is called a Vinibeshita. According to Patanjali Muni in his Yoga Sutras, 
he describes the defects of the mind that cause us suffering in the world. And he said the greatest of all of them is called the binibeshita, which means clinging to life. Every living being's been through this before. That's why little birds, when you come up to them, even though you, you love them to death, little finches, such cute little animal, and then they fly away, like you're gonna kill me. Everyone feels like that in the material world because they've been killed so many times and had to take birth again. It's stuffed deep in the subconscious that I'm going to be killed at some point. Prabhupada puts it in his introduction to the Bhagavad Gita that we're being stalked by the tigress of death. Just around any corner could be there. So uh, one should uh, come to terms with one's actual situation, and it's not so bad, actually, because as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, no one ever dies. We're just changing clothes and become aware of it. So if we start with the end in mind and work backwards from there, then we'll be happier, more productive, because we'll have a clear idea of what the purpose of life is by facing our own death and planning for it. And not just hoping, maybe I'll be ready, but making sure that we're ready for that time when we move from uh, this body to the next body. So she points out in her book her observation for people uh, to be actually be ready for death. And this relates to our practice of Krishna conscious. She said it's a day-to-day -day process. You know, for us... You don't want to wait till the end and try to get ready all of a sudden. I've seen that before. I've been with people who got serious about Krishna consciousness in the last month or two of their lives when they got a grim prognosis. And uh, one person who I sat with uh, just before he passed away held my hand and said, it's so hard now because I've been hanging on, especially to money he was talking about <laughs> until the, all my life. That's what I've been about is making more and more money and holding it as tightly as I can, just making sure it doesn't leak out anywhere. And he said, that's my strongest feeling right now. Even though I'm, he was chanting, he was listening to bhajan, he had a, a devotee taking care of him, but he said, it's hard now. It's calcified. It's difficult to give up. So uh, it's a day-to-day -day pra practice that we, we should be integrated into our lives every single day. Don't miss a day to get ready for the exam. And she also said that it's a conscious decision to get ready. We have to make a conscious decision. In fact, we know that some people uh, avoid the idea of death even up to the last minute. I have even have God brothers who were in denial uh, up until the last minute. Uh, and I don't even know about how they felt in the last minute, but it's very difficult for them. Uh, they assume there'll be a miracle cure, even when everyone says there is no more miracle cure, it's over. And they still hold on to, no, no, it's not true, it won't happen. And so uh, those who are uh, more progressive, they make a conscious decision that no, it's, it's happening right now, body's changing, there'll be a final change, I should get ready for it. And it's not just for my own edification, there are ways in which we should be ready for the sake of others also. There's a responsibility. Once when I was traveling in South India 
in days of yore in my youth, uh, I noticed how a lot of Brahmanites had a, a gold chain or a, or a jewel around their necks, and I, I wondered about that. It's like, should I get one? Um, <laughs> I don't know how to look as a brahmachari, but I asked, you know, what's that all about? And someone told me that uh, it's a tradition because they keep some wealth with them just in case you die in a distant place or in a moment's notice. You have something to pay the people who take care of your last rites. You can leave it to them. And that way you don't leave any karmic debt behind. You're careful about it. I saw with my parents, they, the writing was on the wall. They're getting to their late 80s. They started putting everything together. They're cleaning out the garage, cleaning out the attic, giving away everything preemptively. Uh, do you like that? Yeah, I like it. Take it. You know, everything uh, they were cleaning out and finances all together. And we really appreciated it, our family did. My sister, luckily for me, was the executor of their will, of their estate. Uh, but she was, uh, it was easy, fairly easy. It's always hard, actually, which is another revelation about when any living entity leaves the world, you'll notice how much of an impact he or she has. One living entity just living in the world, even if they have a simple existence, it leaves a hole somewhere in the society, in the universe. As they move on, it has some significance. What to speak if, if they're highly engaged and important, then it makes a, a really big impact. So uh, those who prepare are doing it not just for themselves, for others as well. Don't leave a mess behind when you leave the world. Leave everything in good order. In fact, oftentimes the doctor with a grim prognosis, sounds like the, the uh, name of a heavy metal band, grim prognosis. Maybe a more sophisticated one. Um, they, they, um, they tell people, like, you know, get your affairs in order. That, that's one of the, one of the uh, cliches, time to get your affairs in order. In fact, that's Steve Jobs mentioned when he was first given a grim prognosis, which turned out to be not as grim as they had thought. But he, he thought he only had a month or so to live the first time. And then they told him, get your affairs in order. And then you have to rush to do it. Better do it now. Get, it, get your affairs in order. You'll feel better about it. And when you leave... You won't leave a big burden to everybody else. It's responsible to, to come to terms and then be ready for it when you leave. So conscious decision. We should, be, we should aspire to be like Prichit Maharaj, to consider that this is important and make a conscious decision to deal with it. And she said also you need courage. It requires courage to face the inevitable death that we're leaving the world. So that's one of the places to apply courage, is to see that everything I'm um, doing now is a preparation, and also I should be courageous about taking care of my duties so that I'm ready for it, spiritually, mentally, physically, financially, in all other ways. She says, in that regard, does our, the author I'm mentioning now, Bronnie Ware, 
that finding the courage to, to um, finding the courage in, the, in this act of surrender to preparing for death will never be as painful as lying on a deathbed with regrets. So, as I mentioned, uh, her, her book was re is really about the regrets people have, and she lists the five top regrets that people have. Would you like to hear them? Okay. The five top regrets, as she's compiled them after many, many cases, uh, people that she's been with on their final journey, leaving the world. Number one is... I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life of other, the other, that others expected of me. That's number one. Can you handle number two, you think? Uh, number two, she said, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. That's number two people say, wishing I had to spend so much time at work. Number three, I wish I had had the, cur the courage to express my feelings. Four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Those are the five regrets. So this uh, point about uh, regrets and one of the regrets being Staying true to yourself is important, but in the perspective of bhakti yoga, we have to come to see uh, who we really are. There's a concept called enlightened self-interest. Everyone's self-interested because we, have, we are a self. How could we not be self-interested? This is a point that Shukadeva Goswami brings up at the, uh, at the end of the Brahma Vimohana Lila. He said every living entity has a self-interest, but you have to understand who's yourself. If you don't know who you are and you're self-interested, your, your life will be askew. Your, your values will be uh, non-productive, anartas, anartas. And so he says, Atmanam Akilatmanam. Yes, you're a self. You have an e ego, or ego means a sense of self. We always do, eternally. But Atmanam Akilatmanam means that the real sense of self for, for a, a living being is to understand that uh, Krishna is the self of myself. And that my highest self-interest, my enlightened self-interest, is to be engaged in service to the source of myself, the self of myself. Atmanam akilatmanam. He's the source of all selves, individual selves. Mamai vamsha jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana manakshashtanindriyani prakriti stani karshati. Krishna says in the Gita that everyone's a small part of me. And when they forget that, then they're struggling very hard with the, uh, the, with the external energy. So in preparing for death, 
one has to be, uh, develop enlightened self-interest, which means to become fully aware that I'm part of Krishna. And my ultimate self-interest is to uh, serve Krishna. There's a concept psychologically called authenticity. And as a, as a technical term, authenticity means the degree to which a person's actions are congruent with his or her values and desires. And if our values and desires are for something that's not in our ultimate interest, then we'll not be authentic. And if we come to the ego that I'm a servant of Krishna and we're able to express that and live in that, then we can align ourselves with true authenticity. I'll make a couple more points and I have many more to make, but that'll take some reflections because there's a few things to churn in here, just preparing you for that inevitability which will come up in about a minute and 32 seconds. So in, the, in being authentic, there is a struggle because we are undoubtedly spiritual souls and beings, but we are uh, in material bodies and we have circumstances that are dreamlike in the sense that we come out into a particular family, society, nation, and so forth, and the values of, of that particular family are inculcated into us at an early age, and we have this idea that I'm part of a particular family, nation, society. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America to the public which it stands, one nation under God. I can't remember all that, that's horrible. I should when I was a kid, but they make us stand up and do it every single day to have a clear idea that you're an American. And uh, there was a, a drumbeat when I was young also that that meant we should be uh, averse to other ideologies of the world, like there was the, the great threat of communism in the world which is um, valid to some degree. I mean, Prabhupada talks about it, different ideologies, but, but that was my context. And those kinds of uh, indoctrinations according to the family values, my friend Stan Wall uh, was really out of step with a lot of his friends in school. He was one of my best friends. Uh, and, you know, we all kind of uh, spent time together and, uh, but he was very um, right-leaning, heavily conservative. None of us, the rest of us were at that time, probably due to our conditioning and upbringing. But then I remember uh, during the Vietnam War, he had built himself a stereo called a Heath Kit. I don't know if they still have it, but back then you could buy all the parts and with a soldering gun and an instruction manual, you could build your own amplifier and all kinds of other things. He was a real genius kind of kid, so he liked to do stuff like that. So he put it together, and I remember there was an incident during the Vietnam War called the 
I think it's pronounced Mi Lai incident, where there was uh, some U.S. soldiers had killed innocent people in the name of the, the war. And then there was a big hearing in Congress about it. And he listened to that for about five days with his new Heath kit, um, stereo and headphones on. I just remember him sitting on his bed for almost five days straight listening to it. And after that, he completely changed. <laughs> became <laughs> flipped from one side of the spectrum to the other after five days. And so we're subjected to uh, the conditioning of our environment, to our, our societies, and their various ideologies. And there's social pressures that we have. Everyone has some social pressure. They consider what they wear, uh, how they appear to others, how they speak, when, when to move forward or not move forward based on pecking orders and so forth, uh, versus this psychological need to have authenticity. And so there's this struggle. And as, and as I brought up, it's uh, at its more basic level, because we're spiritual souls in a material body, we have these two parts of our lives that we're uh, navigating. One is via Vaharika, the practical aspect of our lives we have to take care of, including the way we interact socially and also our ultimate need as spiritual souls. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, Sarvapati Vanir Muktam, of course not his verse, but he quoted it when he talked to Rupa Goswami in his teachings to him in the very beginning. He said that this is the, the mode of somebody advancing spiritually is to give up the designations. Even though you may have to do your duty in certain ways, you, could, you should be fully aware of your authentic self. Sarvopadi vinir muktam nirmalam rishikena rishikesha sevanam bhaktir uchite. So this is called bhakti, the process of disentangling oneself from the external designations and coming to one's authentic self. And this is necessary as a preparation for leaving the body properly to prepare oneself to, to live in authenticity, not be carried away by the upadis. Upadi is, uh, an example of upadi is given by Jiva Goswami. He says, if you take a, a, a clear crystal and then you put next to it a red rose, then the crystal turns red. But is the crystal red? No, but it looks like it's red. So similarly, we're originally pure, pure consciousness. But because of association with matter, we appear to be material. I appear to be a uh, Californian, at least in my mind. This is called karmatmaka, or colored by my association with the material world. So this is one of the prerequisites for being prepared uh, for leaving the body, and also f for living a, a life that is authentic. And that's the only way that one can actually be in harmony. Uh, and, and the only way that one can be out of the phenomena called cognitive dissonance, which is a, a malaise. It's a way in which 
we constantly feel anxiety because there's this conflict between me being a pure spirit soul and living in a material body and identifying my, myself with it. So to be uh, fully happy, one has to be aligned with one's enlightened self-interest, and that means coming to this clear idea, even as I live in this body and in the world, that I'm a servant of, of Krishna. Jeev Krishna Das A.B. Shras Koleto Artuko Nai. Bhaktivinoda Thakur states, you can only be happy and when you come to this ego that I'm a servant of Krishna. This is reality, to understand that. Now I'll take a few uh, reflections. Uh, it's a service to give a reflection because it helps to develop the conversation more. So if, you, if there are any points that, that on the little uh, light meter, when they go up to a certain point, you know it's green, 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 and then it hits red. You know what I'm talking about? We have it on Jamulus. If, you go, if it's too loud, it hits the red part. So if any of the points went up the scale and actually jumped it <laughs> to a higher level, you can bring them up. If it was green, it's all right, too. Go ahead, Mal Malini. Thank you so much, Prabhu. Prabhu, uh, I really like the definition that you gave about self-interest. Um, I never thought of this way. Uh, self means uh, the source of yourself, and real self-interest is into serving the source of yourself. So that was uh, very nice. Thank you, Prabhu. Yeah, if someone could bring me a 10th canto, 14th chapter, please. I'll read you a couple of verses from it. But this is, uh, again, I'm reiterating, because you brought up the point that Shukadev Goswami, it's near the end of the 10-14. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, 10-14. That's the, 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 where, the, near the end of the chapter where Tateyu Anukampam appears. Shukadev Goswami says that it's natural to be selfish. It's just the only part you got wrong was what yourself is. <laughs> you just don't want to miss that. Because as, as living beings, we have uh, ambition. We have volition, we have ambition, we, we want to achieve, we want to serve even. But if the original equation is wrong, two plus two is five, and then I go on f for more complex computations, it, it's going to come out wrong. So the foundation has to be right. And uh, to see in terms of that the things I have are not uh, my things, but that they're, as the Sri Japanishad says, tena taktena bunjita, they're things that are put aside for me to use. I was listening to Prabhupada this morning, and he said, everything's on rent. Everything you have is on rent. Your body's on rent. You're renting it. All the things, all your possessions, rented. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we have to consider that that uh, it's, it's a rental process. Did you find it? Prabhu Gahe. This is it? 1014, oh, thank you. Yeah. So there's a few verses here. Uh, Shukadev Goswami is, uh, says, um, O king, speak, 
speaking to Parikshit Maharaj, who has seven days to live. For every created being, the dearmost thing is certainly his own self. The dearness of everything else, children, wife, and so on, is only dear to the dearness of the self. For this reason, O best of kings, the embodied soul is self-centered. He is more attached to his own body and self than he is to so-called possessions, like children, wealth, home. Indeed, for persons who think the body is the self, O best of kings, those things whose importance lies only in their relationship to the body are never as dear as, uh, as, dear as the body itself. I do, I do anything to serve the body. Let's count it. Fully organic food, <laughs> best type of workout regime, and anything else? Non-toxic nail polish. <laughs> what? <laughs> what else? Anything, I mean, if you consider it, it's like, I'll do anything for you, my dear body, because that's who I am. Shampoo, yeah, let's not get into hair care. I mean, that's like one of the most important things in the, in the universe, how the hair looks like. <laughs> but it goes on and on, and it's a full absorption because that's myself. And for the, in the context of understanding that I'm not, I'm not my body, it doesn't mean unless you're, you know, an avaduta that you become disheveled, it means you just let your body go. But the idea is given in the uh, beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Kamasya Nendriya Pritya Labo Jivita Yavata, Jivasya Tattva Jignasya Narto Yashche Hakarma Bi. Be healthy. Live a very balanced, healthy life, but just enough so that you can inquire about, about Krishna. You don't want to let yourself go because then you're going to be fatigued all the time. Yes, John. Yes. Are there health benefits chanting the Mahamantra? Mantra? Yes. There's a book on it. There's a um, psychologist who studied for his uh, PhD thesis or his postdoc. He did a, a, an empiric study about chanting the Holy Name. He had various groups that chanted and he measured how they did. And people that chanted the Maha Mantra did much better in many different ways. Good, Thank right? you. Yeah. Okay, so he goes on to say, if a person comes to the stage of considering the body mine instead of me, he will certainly not consider the body as dear as his own self. After all, even as the body is growing old and useless, one's desire to continue living remains strong. I can attest to that. Therefore, it is his own self that is most dear to every embodied living being, and it is simply for the satisfaction of this self that the whole material creation of moving and non-moving entities exists. Hare Krishna. You should know Krishna to be the original soul of all living entities. For the benefit of the whole universe, he has, out of his causeless mercy, appeared as an ordinary human being. He has done this by the strength of his internal potency. So in the verse, Krishna means Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of God, at enam this, avehi, just try to understand, tvang, you, atmanam, the soul. So here soul is given a, a capital because there's a source to all the other individuals' selves. 
Nitya Nityanam Chetanas Chetananam Eko Bahunam Yovidhati Kaman. The Vedas clearly say there's a plurality of living beings. However, there's one chief living being who's maintaining all the other individual living beings. I can't say that I'm the maintainer. And Krishna is the, the one who's providing for the ants and for the elephants and for the squirrels, those three especially. And for human beings, he's also maintaining. And Prahlad Maharaj said, consider anything that you have, the paycheck, anyone getting a paycheck? No? See me after if you're not. We got a service for you. Um, that's coming from Krishna. It, it, it's, it's his potency, Prahlad said, whatever you have. So this is Krishna consciousness. It means coming to a clear understanding that there is a God, I'm not him. I'm being maintained. And at every minute... That whatever life I have in my body, that, that's, it's a gift. It's coming from the Supreme Soul. I can't maintain myself. I can't keep my heart beating. And if my hand decides to stop working, and just says, I quit, it's like, come on, help. And no, it's finished. You can't do anything. I'm helpless in that way. But Krishna, he's the maintainer of all living beings. He makes every hand go or not go according to one's karma. So... You should know Krishna to be the original soul of all entities. For the benefit of the whole universe, he has, out of his causeless mercy, appeared as a human being. He has done this by the strength of his internal potency. So, Atmana means the soul, the supreme soul, and Akila Atma, uh, Atmanam. Akila Atmanam means of all living entities. Atmanam Akila Atmanam, the soul of the souls. Soul of souls. Jagatitaya, for the benefit of the whole universe. Sahi, api, certainly, atra, here, dehi, a human being, iva, like, abhati, appears, mayaya, by his internal potency. So, this is the uh, very clear point that Shukadev Goswami makes about authenticity. Be aligned in this vision. Last verse. Those in this world who understand Krishna as he is, see all things, whether stationary or moving, as manifest forms of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Such enlightened persons recognize no reality apart from the Supreme Lord Krishna. Okay. There are a couple more reflections. One, two. Oh, you were next. Okay. One, two. Three, four, five. And the online, if we can see the Zoom room again, I think that there are more. Oh, okay. There's a lot. Okay, go ahead. I'll try not to make long, drawn-out answers from now on. Hare Krishna Prabhu. I like the point where you said about, um, you know, we should not just hope that we would be ready for death, but rather we should plan and really ensure that we are ready so I was just thinking that on our journey from you know, India to US, just to get ready for that apparently simple thing when compared to death, you have to do like COVID test and this, and now the things have added up. So if you don't do any of those, then you cannot just make the journey. So 
just for a simple, you know, within the material world, coming from one country to another country, you need to plan. Then imagine, you know, quitting this body, you know, giving up this body. It's a big thing. So we cannot just hope that everything will be all right, right? Yes. And uh, just recently, because I'm studying for my Bhaktivedanta degree, and then we have to take... Come in. Uh, I have, have to take uh, tests on a regular basis, and I know when I'm going to do okay, and when I'm not. When I sit down, I, if I've studied sufficiently, I'm very clear. That yeah, I know it, and I'm also clear as like I'm I'm going to go for it, but I, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do. Right? Everyone has that experience when you get ready for a test, right? That. So I'm sure I'm going to do well, because I know everything. It's right clear in my mind. Krishna willing, I always say prayer ahead of time. Okay. And I like the point about, you know, embellishing the ideas of traveling. You need visas, too. It's a big deal. Speak of just going between countries, you need a visa. What to speak if you're heading for another planet? You got a visa? <laughs> Try going through BHF or whatever it's called. VHS. BHS? Is that what it's called? BFS? Good luck with that. <laughs> Hope the universal ones aren't that bad. All right. Well, you're talking about it. I was remembering that any kind of a surgery you have to go through in India, um, they never tell anything to the patient. They always tell everything only to the relatives. The patient is like totally unaware of what's happening. But in the U.S., they only tell the patient. So that, uh, that you know, you, I'm going to go, you're going to go through the surgery, uh, but 99% should be okay. But you know, uh, but you should have to, have to sign a paper where you will not sue us, you know, that okay, you know, something. And they will also make you read the whole process of what all possibilities can happen and then you can die. And then you have to sign the paper just two minutes before you go into the surgery. So I was just thinking that actually in one sense, U.S. really makes you aware of uh, all the miseries. So I was just feeling thankful, and when I had to sign that paper, and I was just trying to think, okay, Krishna mare rakhi goi. I don't have a choice. I just have to go in. But I was just thinking that, am I really ready? You know, as you said, I should just work so much harder. Yes, and and can one be really ready? I was just uh, speaking to a devotee the other about Kurma Rupa Prabhu, one of my god brothers. He ran the uh, Care for Cows in Vrindavan, and uh, to Sri Krishna Prabhu. Everyone knows him, the temple resident in Denver. He was very close to Kurmarupa Prabhu, considered him one of his shikshagurus. So Kurmarupa got some kind of cancer. And he, doctors in Delhi said, oh no, you're going to die. Like, you know, you got about a month or, or two maximum. So he called some of his uh, friends and, and students. And, and so um, Tushta told me that he called them and he said, yeah, I, I got to check out. And he thought, like, what do you mean? Are you at a hotel or something like that? But just the way he said, I have to check out. I have to check out in about a month. And he didn't know what he was talking about until they got more into it. But down to the last minute, that was his mentality. He was very fixed in consciousness. And you see that with a lot of uh, devotees who have prepared themselves throughout life, that they're not just stoic, but they're facing it with uh, you know, alacrity that this is it, and that, you know, this is the time we've been waiting for. Been like you're happy when you take a test that you've studied for. Okay. You're up. Um, um, 
I like the verse 56. Okay, we put that on the screen. Fifty-six. Um, but basically, the verse was about how um, if you yeah. see Krishna and everything, um, then actually, I just want to see the translation. Yeah. Okay. It says, "Those in this world who understand Lord Krishna as He is see all things, whether stationary or moving, as manifest forms of the supreme personality of Godhead." Such enlightened persons recognize no reality apart from the Supreme Lord Krishna. And then um, I really found this a powerful way to live a Krishna conscious life by seeing everything you have and everyone around you as gifts from Krishna and taking every circumstance as a lesson always um, keeps you in higher consciousness. Nice point. And that's how the, the, the chapter starts. With the most famous verse of all, Brahma says, Tatenu kampam sasamikshamano bunjane vatmakritam vipakam ridvavapur viridam namaste jivetiyo mukti pade sadayabhak. That the, the visa, the level that of consciousness that allows one to actually enter into the spiritual world is that what you just described, one sees everything as a lesson and everything in relationship with Krishna takes it as special mercy, even the reversals. If you, if you can develop that type of consciousness as a human, then sadaya bhak means you're eligible to inherit the spiritual world. You're ready for it. Okay, let's see, who is next? We have, I skipped over you, okay. Sorry, Prabhu. One, two, three, and we have online also. Sorry, online devotees, we'll get to you in just a second. Uh, thank you, Prabhu, for that wonderful class. Uh, this is on the second point that you mentioned. We have to be, uh, one is our self-interest, and second is the courage that one has to demonstrate for others. So recently, Gauranga has come to the idea of death, and he was literally crying in the night, telling his mother, I don't want you to die. I don't want anybody to die. So at that point, I was thinking that this is the time that has come that we have to accept, even though if not interest, still understood the depth of self-interest, but at least Krishna has given us an opportunity to be courageous and uh, deal with this topic in a nice way. That we are living in a, in a knowledge that there's going to be death, but we are happy about it, or at least we'll go about doing our stuff in a positive manner. And I was, I was in that thought process today morning when I was in my japa and I was thinking about Srila Prabhupada that he, uh, he went through a very rough phase when he was leaving his body. Somebody may see that, uh, you know, why someone like that uh, powerful or great was suffering. But the example that he set up and he said that, you know, you all may have to go through it. And he was going in, in a perfectionist way. He was teaching even to the life, to the end of his life. So I was like, no, this is courageous. So even if I'm not able to understand the real self-interest, Krishna has given me an opportunity to be courageous about it and go about it in a very dutiful manner, responsible. Yes, uh, we'll see that also in the, the ways that Bhishma leaves the world and also Vishwasara. Uh, there are many more, but 
these two especially are uh, on my mind. I, I was just looking at the, the sections in the Bhagavatam this morning, and both of them have this idea, Vrtrasura especially, because he, he knew as soon as I give up this body doing my duty, then I have a higher destination. So he was very exemplary in that. And what to speak of Bhishma, he was on the battlefield with arrows stuck through him, and he, he went on speaking. So many people compared Prabhupada uh, to Bhishma because you'll see the last, when Prabhupada's emaciated, he still had his uh, editing group around him holding the, the dictaphone above his mouth, and he was given commentary to the 13th chapter of the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam days before he left. And so, yeah, it's a very important point. Okay, uh, Radha Kripa Prabhu, then we're going to the Zoom room. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Uh, uh, Maharaj, uh, coincidentally, uh, yesterday I was reading about uh, uh, Parlad Maharaj. He was instructing uh, his classmates, uh, talking about, uh, you know, 50% of your life is wasted in sleeping, and first 10 years is wasted in, you know, a child, and then another 10. And then and when you're old, uh, last 20 years is lost. So I think eventually it was, to me, out of 100, he calculated almost like a 10 years is left. And those who are, when you're, when, now I'm just linking it to your uh, example, which you shared about uh, uh, your God brother, when you mentioned that he's, uh, uh, even uh, people were chanting around him and, uh, you know, reading the Bhaktam also, but he said his, you know, consciousness is not that strongly fixed because he was talking about money. Uh, that's what he probably... Wasn't a god-brother, by the Sorry, way. sorry about that. Yeah, it's maybe not. So, my thing is, I was just wondering, like, those who started late, my question is, uh, in their, you know, in, in this path, what is the best way for them to not, you know, the consciousness which has been carrying for so many years you know, not become a, you know, issue. Uh, I just want... That's explained in the Bhagavatam in the story of Dhritarashtra. Dhritarashtra had a, all the human defects that we hope to avoid and cause us unwillingness to actually accept reality. <laughs> uh, and we've talked about him recently. But when it was time for him to leave the world, because his body was obviously falling apart and everybody knew it except for him, because he was in denial. And then he had the benefit of uh, Vidura coming to uh, rescue him. And Vidura is a sadhu. So sadhus, one of their jobs is to uh, cut our illusion. So we should not fear the sadhu, but we should be, we should search out sadhus. Because sometimes it's like sadhus are, Sadhus means those who are strictly following the spiritual process. They, like surgeons, can cut out the anartas. Because th there's a special potency in somebody who's following the process and has dedicated his or her life to it. When they speak, when he or she speaks, there's a, a potency that comes out. And also, out of mercy, just like a surgeon, you might say, why are you cutting that person? Because they have... A, a cancerous growth, and I'm cutting it out so that they can <laughs> actually live. And so similarly, a sadhu will see the defect or the anarta in somebody and artfully 
cut it out. It may seem very cutting at the time, but it's actually a mercy cutting to take out that anartha. So Dhritarashtra had the benefit of Vidura who came and said, snap out of it. You're falling apart, your teeth are coming out. There's a sound in your voice that I recognize. Other people, when they're about to die, they have that. And you, you know, you're embarrassing yourself. He was a, he was a king. Uh, at one time, but he was, you know, living off the charity of the people he tried to kill, frankly. It was an embarrassing situation, and uh, Vidura brought that up and said, let's get out of here, I'll take you to the Himalaya. So he did, and he, he prepared Dhritarashtra as far as he could, but Prabhupada specifically mentions that he could have got a lot further, but he got a late start, so he got as far as he could. And... There's no loss ever in practice of spiritual life because even if one starts late or even at the last second, then you take it up in your next life. That's why Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Neha bhikramanashosti pratyavayo nevidite svalpam apyasidharmasya trayate mahatobhayat. If you even do a tiny bit in this lifetime, you'll be... Uh, saved from the greatest type of fear, which is missing the opportunity altogether. The smallest start guarantees you'll, you'll be able to start up in the next life. Uh-oh, who was up there who dropped off? Shredder was at the top of the list, I thought. I can't see. I know, okay, but Bhakta Roman, Shringar Rasa was first, and then, okay, and Bhakta Roman thought maybe I'd never stop talking, so he might have dropped off. Okay, Shringar Ras, go ahead. He's back. All right. Shringar Rasko. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Please accept my humble obeisances. So um, I really like this point that uh, the prerequisite for the preparation of death is disentangling oneself from the material designations. Um, and I also want to ask that is it a cultivation uh, or does it happen spontaneously as we move forward in our uh, spiritual life? The verse says that when you engage your senses, sarvopati vanir muktam, tatpratvena nirmalam, rishikena, rishikesha sevanam. So uh, the answer is that it's a uh, concomitant aspect. It, it's what happens when you use your senses in Krishna's service, they become purified of designations. So right now I'm working for my bodily maintenance and whatever else. But if I start to do some selfless service for Krishna, then the, se the sense of designation becomes purified by dint of the practice of devotional service. Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Pryojita Janaya Ashavairagyam Jnanam Chayarahai Tukam. When one does direct devotional service, which means serve the master of the senses with your senses, it's a cultivation uh, in that way, but it also is something that happens by Krishna's mercy, that he, he helps to remove the designations. That's why we also have Shrinvatam Svakata Krishna Punya Shravana Kirtana Hridyantaksto Hibhadrani Vidunoti Suritsatam. When you deliberately put yourself in front of transcendental sound vibration and do service, then naturally Krishna, whose name is Vidunoti, he helps you to remove the designations and any of the unwanted values that you've acquired over many lifetimes. So it's a little bit of both. 
we do have Thank to you. we do have to put ourselves in the position but then krishna helps us Thank you for the question. Okay, now we have Bhakti Roman. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Uh, I was uh, coming back to our first chapter, and I thought this time I'm going to make a lot of notes on top of the books and create some notes, but I go after shloka after shloka, and I find out there's uh, every verse is really informal, and then you have to put notes on every single page. And uh, I actually... Hearing about this time, I found wonderful uh, condition that one may be in when, you know, your death time it comes. And it comes from the chapter first, uh, uh, from the first canto, chapter two, text 19. And in translation, and I like the words, as soon as irrevocable love and service is established in the heart, the effects of nature's modes of passion and ignorance, such a lust, desire, and hankering disappear from the heart. And Srila Prabhupada gives in the purport the condition called such sadha sattva, which is unmixed sattva, which is, uh, he said that in that uh, sadha sattva state, can one always see Krishna eye to eye by dint of pure affection of the Lord. So when I found that would be nice condition to die, to see Krishna eye to eye, even uh, we can't see him directly, but that unmixed uh, sattva is the one condition that, as you mentioned, people living, they don't want to get rid of money. They still hold on some sort of possessions of materials. But I think when you become sadha sattva, you, you know, you, you just see the Krishna and there's nothing between you and him at this point. So I found that verse is really nice. Well, because of your enthusiasm for devotional service, Bhakti Roman, I'm sure you'll see Krishna eye to eye. I mean, that's, Shastra says that. Thank you. And I think we, we're, coming, we're coming live from South India. Vaikuntha Nayak? Hare Krishna, Dandat Pranam, Guru Maharaj. Are you in Mysore? Yes, Maharaj, very much. We're missing you down there. Oh, <laughs> hey, Krishna. <laughs> Maharaj, uh, about the point uh, which you narrated about um, how that uh, nurse, she documented the experiences of uh, people who were about to die. <clears throat> uh, I was just thinking how the idea, when we all know that we'll be dying one day, but when it really strikes us, um, it really transforms a person or it has the ability to transform a person. Um, in this connection, I was uh, reminded of one uh, uh, story, uh, of one incident from history in the life of King Ashoka. Can I share it very quickly? We insist very upon quickly. it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it so happens that uh, Ashoka is the grandson of uh, Chandragupta, whose minister was uh, Chanakya, just to set the context. But uh, uh, King Ashoka is on the throne and he has a younger brother uh, whose name is Tissa. And uh, this Tissa, the younger brother, is actually a core uh, atheist and a materialist. So they are in the court and uh, two monks come into the Ashoka's palace and uh, uh, all the festivities are stopped because Ashoka wants to hear the monks. And uh, Tissa is extremely miffed with it. 
and he says that okay and he insults the monk saying that you people don't know how to enjoy life what with the shaven heads and rags and eating something you don't know how to enjoy come have some liquor so ashoka just ignores him and uh, just attends to the monks and uh, and kisa thinks that the story is over but it's he doesn't know that it's just begun so that night the minister ashoka's minister uh, <clears throat> calls the brother ashoka's brother for a drinking party and uh, tissa the brother gets all sloshed up and uh, <laughs> and uh, the minister tells him that hey you i want to see you sitting on the throne and he tells come sit on the throne and uh, uh, since he is intoxicated he actually uh, does strike a pose on the throne saying how, how do i look at that moment ashoka walks in and says aha so you had designs on my throne so you want to actually use up the throne so off with your head and uh, but since you my brother <clears throat> my dear brother i will give you one week uh, of full enjoyment like in this one week uh, and but after this one week uh, you will be taken to the gallows and for that one week isa is given the best food the best dancing girls uh, all kinds of liquor everything and uh, uh, the jugglers all magicians and at the end of the week ashoka says i hope you had a great time uh, this one week so this tista says what do you think what do you are saying great time every moment in this one week was like uh, hell i was thinking about the time i am going to uh, be actually hanged i did not enjoy anything about it and then then ashoka says that okay so you realize it now those monks they have realized about death all along so they don't find all this material world as enticing as you do so and then tisa turns a new leaf and he becomes a monk as well so yay I, <laughs> appropriate yeah. yes thank you thank that's you it much. much yes bravo well done it's, it's it's impressed in our minds now for sure okay so uh a couple more points and then we'll stop one is that um we'll look at Yes. Um So in the vein of be true to yourself. One has to educate oneself about one's real self-interest. This is important about being true to oneself. Uh be authentic. This is going back to the list of regrets that people had at time of death. So educate yourself about your real self-interest that's what we've been talking about obviously and and then krishna talks about how to solidify that conception in one's life and if we can look at bhagavad gita 430 and 31 he says that you should dedicate your life to yagya which means uh, service to the supreme offer what you have to the supreme this brings one into clear focus about 
one's true value in life and one's true identity in life. If we go down to the translation, please. So this chapter was a, uh, in this chapter, Krishna names many different ways in which people understand that the ultimate goal of life is not simply the, the emolument of the body and the mind, but is uh, something above that. But how do you actually achieve it? So here he says about all the performers of different kinds of sacrifices, and he names yogis who control their breath, and he names people who uh, dedicate the fruits of their work to the supreme and so forth. He says, all these performers who know the meaning of sacrifice become cleansed of sinful reactions, and having tasted the nectar of the results of sacrifices, they advance toward the supreme eternal atmosphere. And in the purport, Prophet writes, from, from the foregoing explanation of different types of sacrifice, namely sacrifice of one's possessions, study of the Vedas, or philosophical doctrines, and performance of the yoga system, it is found that the common aim of all is to control the senses. Sense gratification is the root cause of material existence. Therefore, unless and until one is situated on a platform apart from sense gratification, there's no chance of being elevated to the eternal platform of full knowledge, full bliss, and full life. This platform is the eternal atmosphere, or Brahman atmosphere. All the above-mentioned sacrifices help one to become cleansed, of the sinful reactions of material existence. By this advancement in life, not only does one become happy and opulent in this life, but also at the end, he enters into the eternal kingdom of God, either merging into the impersonal Brahman or associating with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Next verse, which is short. Krishna says, Nayam lokostin jagnasya Kutonya kurusatama. So kuto means, like, where is it? Where is your? Where where are you going to get any happiness? It's a kutrashisha shruti sukham mrigatrishni rupa. A similar question that uh, Prahlad Maharaj asks uh, when he's talking, uh, praying to Lord Nishringadev. He says everyone's talking about happiness, but where is it? Is anybody getting it? He said it's shruti sukham. You hear about it, but you never actually get it. It's always fill, there's always some catch. <laughs> but so Krishna says, Nayam Lokosti Jagnasya. So never on this planet, really anywhere, Asti, still doing word for word, Jagnasya. So Ayagyasya um, means so somebody who doesn't get this principle, he doesn't do it doesn't have enlightened self-interest, isn't performing yagya or service to the Supreme. Then kutanya kurusatama. O best of the Kuru dynasty, without sacrifice, one can never live happily on this planet or in this life, what then in the next. So whatever form of material existence one is in, purport continues, one is invariably ignorant of his real situation. In other words, existence in the material world is due to the multiple reactions of our sinful lives. Ignorance is the cause of sinful life, and sinful life is the cause of one's dragging on in material existence. The human form of life is the only loophole by which one may get out of this entanglement. The Vedas, therefore, give us a chance for escape by pointing out the paths of religion, economic comfort, regulated sense gratification, and at last, the means to get out of the miserable condition entirely. The path of religion or the different kinds of sacrifice recommended above 
automatically solves our economic problems. By performance of yagya, we can have enough food, enough milk, etc., even if there is a so-called increase in population. When the body is fully supplied, naturally the next stage is to satisfy the senses. The Vedas prescribe, therefore, sacred marriage for regulated sense gratification. Thereby, one is gradually elevated to the platform of release from material bondage, and the highest perfection of liberated life is to associate with the Supreme Lord. Perfection is achieved by performance of yagya, sacrifice, as described above. Now, if a person is not inclined to perform yagya according to the Vedas, how can he expect a happy life even in this body and what to speak of another body or another planet? There are different grades of material comforts in different heavenly planets and in all of them. And in all cases, there is immense happiness for persons engaged in different kinds. Did I get it? <laughs> different grades of material comforts in different heavenly planets. And in all cases, there is immense happiness for persons engaged in different kinds of yagya. But the highest kind of happiness that a man can ha achieve is to be promoted to the spiritual planets by practice of Krishna consciousness. A life of Krishna consciousness is therefore the solution to all the problems of material existence. That's it. Om Tat Sat. Okay. Anybody have a last point? Yes, Prabhu. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Uh, in the beginning, you had made this statement that Brahmana means uh, somebody who is in line with the Supreme, and that also means to have everything lined up. And Srila Prabhupada, how he had lined up everything. So I was like appreciating that point. Yeah. Get your ducks in a row. And That's also, uh, Guru Mahajwana, I had one other reflection. Um, uh, you are saying that uh, devotees, when they have a prognosis, uh, and then how you were quoting how... I was just remembering Rajendra Nandan Prabhu, how he prepared himself as soon as he got there. And then he was... Uh, yeah, that was very inspiring. He had a lot of momentum. Because... He was uh, already, I mean, his whole life had been dedicated to Krishna consciousness, although you know, he had other obligations the last 20 years or 25 years. He had to do some work to maintain his family. He had a son, but he had planned out so that he lived in Mayapur three months out of the year. Took a kind of occupation where he had at least three months off, maybe more. So that fully dedicated, and anyone who, ever, anyone who ever saw him in Mayapur knew, or anywhere else for that matter, meant that he was, he was all business when it came to Krishna consciousness. I mean, he was jolly, obviously, you could hear him laugh across the room. We're going to miss that on our yatras, right? But, uh, you know, when I saw him a few years ago when he first joined the yatra, you know, when he found out that we were going to. Mayapur and Puri and stuff like that. He really wanted to come. We really wanted him to come. And when I first got uh, talked to him about it, he goes, I just want to hear. <laughs> I just want to be there and hear. And uh, every morning at Mangalartik, I don't know if you all saw, because uh, the women might not have saw they're on a different side, but the, you know he'd always take the lamps around to the 500 people. <laughs> that were there when he was passing around. He was always figuring out how to serve the Vaishnavas and be engaged. So then, 
you know, he had the momentum when he came into the last couple weeks, and the prognosis for him was two weeks or three weeks. He, I think he left in two, but this is how quick it was. And one of the last things he said to his wife was, don't waste time. Om Tat Sat. Yes, Tori. And then Eka Chakra Pran. For the um, I'll be quick. That's okay. The, Take your time. Thank you. In the Gita, um, it says that somebody who takes the path and then later falls off the path uh, may be reborn into a family of devotees so that they may continue the progress. And I'm wondering if um, any of the other texts speak to this because to me it almost um, seems more offensive to return to material way of life after having knowledge of a Krishna conscious life and um, what kind of karma that person may endure in the next life having be, being blessed to be born into a family of devotees. Yeah, what a good question. So, yes, other uh, texts talk about it. In fact, they give more elaborate stories. In the Bhagavad Gita, you get the the um, sutra, which means just the uh, very um, a short explanation of what it is, and the Srimad Bhagavatam unpacks that a little more about what happens. So it's not that a person who practices devotional service and isn't quite perfect and then comes back into the material world is actually uh, in karma like others. And we see in the story... Uh, in the Srimad Bhagavatam of Maharaj Bharat. You know India is called Bharat. It's named after this, this king who was a great devotee. He, he left behind, he left, he went out on top. Uh, he was wealthy, young, healthy, everything, but now I'm going, attained perfection, went by himself to wilderness, was practicing, and then one day when he was Absorbed in his meditational practices, there was a roar of a lion and then a deer that was being pursued by the, by the lion, jumped across this river that he was near, or a stream, and she miscarried out of fear and then died. And then the fawn fell into the water and was struggling. So he got up from his meditational seat and he picked up the fawn and started uh, taking care of it. And it gave it a little grass and then the next thing the fawn was rubbing up against him so he's meditating going like <laughs> and, and then he became fully absorbed in the deer kind of like transference because his emotions were so deep for Krishna that now they slipped off the rail and got transferred to the to this deer and you know some people they'll get fully absorbed in an animal I mean it's hard not to because they're so I mean most of them are nicer than humans and really cute. So, especially a little deer. So then he got so absorbed in the deer that when he left his body, he, he was like a madman, absorbed in the deer. He was looking at the moon. He was saying, I see the moon. It's got your footprints on it. You must have gone there. And, uh, you know, he was mad, absorbed. So when he died, material nature arranged for him by the law that you know from the Bhagavad Gita, whatever you're most absorbed in when you leave the world, uh, the material nature accommodates that. So he got the body of a deer, 
But he also got the benediction that he remembered that he had been a yogi king, a king yogi, and had been on the spiritual path. So as a deer, he went back to the original place where he was practicing ashtanga. If you ever see a little deer doing downward dog or something, <laughs> now you'll know why. So <laughs> he stayed and patiently in that body, and in his next life, he took birth as Judd Bharat. So Judd Bharat came out with heavy determination, knowing that he had been through these previous lives and had made a mistake. And he was so determined that he didn't want to interact with the world. Judda means like a stone. So he pretended to be somebody who was not uh, with it. Even though he was a highly intellectual and uh, enlightened person, his father was a very good person, Brahmin, and tried to train him how to be clean, how to do this, that, and he'd do it the opposite. Like, oh. so, so that everyone would leave him alone. And he didn't want to interact with anything or anyone. So he was in that situation, uh, in that life, and then he went back to Godhead after that life. There's a lot more to the story. But the point that's given by our uh, teachers about this is that the ultimate refinement sometimes requires a circuitous route. You may go through a few things to get rid of the last vestiges of attachment to the material world. So when devotees come back into the process, then they remember where they were last time. Krishna puts them in a situation where they can deal with the last attachments that they had uh, before they left. And so it's technically not karma. When a devotee goes through these kinds of things and takes another life, it's actually Krishna's mercy. But he knows exactly what my last attachments are, so he puts me in a situation that's perfectly appropriate to remove that particular attachment that I have so that I can fully surrender and give myself. So sometimes it's worth it to take a little uh, detour, says Vishnath Chakravarti Thakur, for those who want to come to the ultimate stage and full purification. <laughs> They go through some things like that. And Prabhupada also comments in the light of the Bhagavat that missteps or mistakes in devotional service may not be detrimental. They may become the pillars to success. Because when you really slip or blow it, then you become more determined that uh, don't let me do that again. And you're more on guard like that. Does that help? Okay. All right, uh, we really will finish in the next five minutes, but we wouldn't want to go without hearing from Ekachakra Pran Prabhu. Hi, Krishna. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful class. I found it especially helpful to hear the top regrets that people have in their lives so that I can avoid those pitfalls in life and turning those around into even guiding values so being sure to be true to myself, being sure not to overwork, having the courage to express my feelings, to make sure to keep in touch with friends and to let myself be happy. Thank you. Yeah, good to have the list. <laughs> Thank you very much, Eka Chakrapan. Was that Shraddha was up there and she dropped off? So Gandharvika then dropped off. You can say... Hare Krishna Prabhu, okay. I, was, I was just thinking of, uh, in the verses that we were reading, how 
different grades of uh, souls exist like some exalted souls maybe they are offering obeisances or they are in the kirtan and they pass away like that and without absolutely no pain but most of us like um, we li- we die in so much fear almost like an animal sometimes because if we don't have that knowledge so uh, i was just thinking how reading these things may feel superficial now but when that time comes uh, this is the only thing that's going to save us um, to have that kind of a, a satisfied uh, passing away and um, it's very invaluable so that's why i just wanted to share that yes in the 15th chapter of the bhagavad gita krishna says yatanto yoginas chayanam pashyantyatman yavastitam yatanto pyakritatmano um nainam pashyantya chetasaha that to those people who have prepared themselves in this lifetime they've educated themselves they've lived a uh, a life of not cheating themselves uh, they they see what's happening at death and they're they're prepared for it and he says the others who don't prepare they don't know what's going on it just becomes the most absurd and seemingly unjust i mean it's it's beyond the pale actually i mean a lot of things happen in life where you go okay we can make up for this <laughs> but when death comes it's like it's everything everything gone and if you're not prepared for that ahead of time like hegel said the uh, philosopher die to live if you want to li- really live die to your false ego the idea that i'm the controller and come to your real ego of i'm a servant and i don't have anything you you can keep everything but it's not yours you have to use it in service and that means dying to the ego of i'm the controller and this is me and i'm this body uh, so die to live and for the absolute okay probably you had your hand up and then we'll go to rab maraj my my guru maraj used to say uh, krishna consciousness is the panacea for all the problems of life talking the f- top of the mic not at the side it, this the, is the top the word that's it this panacea thick mask krishna consciousness is the panacea for all the problems of life yes it, is that right the word is panacea correct oh oh panacea 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 so um see there are so many conditioned souls in this material world and we you know by the mercy of prabhupada and by the mercy of krishna we got this knowledge you know we we are fortunate enough so how do we take this message to the most unfortunate the conditioned souls save one soul at a time beginning with yourself that's our motto best thing start with yourself yourself we're going to save ourselves today and so that's the most important thing because then naturally automatically for those who attend to the they have enlightened self-interest enlightened self-interest means take care of yourself first save yourself first is the first law just like it's the first law for paramedics they tell you on the first day not that i would know but saidev prabhu told me said first day of paramedic school they tell you a dead paramedic can't save anybody so your first job is to stay alive when you go there don't get shot don't get poisoned don't get strangled 
uh, or electrocuted. You stay alive, then you can help other people. So that's the first law. And now, really, for the close. Thank you, Maharaj. Uh, this is such a wonderful class, and I really like the point of uh, this life is a preparation and begin with the end in mind. And you also brought up uh, Bhishma Dev, where uh, he led his life, life in Krishna consciousness, even though he was on the opposite side of Krishna. But when he was dying, Krishna actually came there um, and made him talk. And in the story, when um, Bhishma Dev starts, he saw all the demigods come and he offers his prayers to the demigods, even in that condition. Uh, that itself says that how he has led his life. And uh, a question was asked in the class that, you know, he was in a bed of arrows. Why was he not in so much pain? How could he talk if he was in so much pain? The example was given of a coconut. Like if you keep the coconut for a long time, uh, slowly the inside, the white part, uh, disentangles from the hard shell outside. And that's how a pure devotee actually feels um, that you are not the body, you are the soul. And that's why he was not feeling the pain. So I was thinking about that point. Hare Krishna. Thank you. So cheat death before death cheats you. That's the game you got to play. Don't get caught unawares. So we went into the subject a little teeny bit. And um, Pavani Bhakti said she likes it. So I was thinking that not that many people like talking about death. So it's a strange group here.